Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. There are 24 hours in a day. That's it. No one person has more time or less time. 24 hours, that's it. And if it's true that the average adult sleeps six to seven, eight hours a night, or at least we should, then that means we have about 16 to 17 hours of waking time each day, or about a thousand minutes. Every day, that's what you have. No more, no less. You have a thousand minutes. Uh, The author and blog writer, uh, Tim Urban, invites us to really frame the way we look at time like this. Each and every day, you have 100 10-minute blocks. And you get to use those blocks. You get to assign those blocks to the things that you have in your life. And you get to spend those blocks those 110 minute blocks uh, throughout the day till at the end of the day, you spend your last block and go to sleep and do it all again. It's an interesting way to frame time. As we wrap up our sermon series, thinking about the borrowed things we have from God, um, not the least of which is our time, it's helpful to take a step back and, and think about how are you spending your blocks? What would you spend your blocks on? How many blocks should you spend thoroughly grounded in the present, focusing on what you're doing now? How many blocks do you spend worrying about the past? How many blocks do you spend investing in a better, brighter future? How many blocks do you spend face-to-face with the people you love? How many blocks should be or do you spend on yourself and, and by yourself? How many blocks do you spend on taking care of your body, on taking care of your mind? Or how about taking care of your soul? Imagine this. Imagine you had these 100 blocks laid out in a grid like this. And we had this experiment going on, that today, Sunday, we're going to plan out how we're going to spend each of those blocks tomorrow, Monday. You'd have to wrestle with the activities and is it worth it or not? Think about dinner tomorrow night and is spending about three blocks, 30 minutes worth it, or Is it more worth it to spend no blocks or or maybe just one block, pick up the phone and order pizza? Is it worth it after your friend invites you out to lunch or to grab coffee to to spend a hundred blocks, or excuse me, 10 blocks, a hundred minutes doing that? And then you get to thinking, is it it worth it for this friend or is it worth it for that friend? Because you only have a hundred blocks to spend. And how many of those blocks should you spend with your family? How many of blocks should you spend um, with your job? How many of those blocks should you spend uh, helping your son or daughter out with their homework? Or how many blocks should you spend 
scrolling through on your phone. You get to decide. You get to decide what's worth it and what's not. Now imagine this. It's Tuesday and someone comes to you and they present you with this same grid, but it's already filled out. And it's not looking forward to Tuesday or Wednesday, but it's showing how you actually spent your time on Monday. How would the two grids compare? How would they differ? And if they differed, why would they? You have a thousand minutes every single day. No more, no less. This is what your day looks like on a grid of squares. This is what your life looks like in a different grid. The average life expectancy in the United States for men and women is just under 80 years. But let's say, let's say you are one of the people exceedingly blessed with longevity and you're going to live to be 90 years old. This is what your life looks like, counted out in 90 diamond-shaped boxes. This is what your life looks like laid out by months. This is what a 90-year human life looks like in months. There they all are. And this is what a 90-year human life looks like according to weeks. So why am I showing you all these uh, geometrical shapes and patterns laid out for 90-year human life? Well, the reason is this. Very often, we look at our days, our weeks, our months, and we think time is, well, immeasurable. It's, it's limitless. But there couldn't be anything farther from the truth. The weeks of your life are most certainly countable. There they are, staring at you right in the face. Often we tend to, you know, count down to the weekend and wish Monday goodbye and think there's just a long line of them continuing to come. But there is an end. There is an end to the amount of time that we'll experience here on this earth. But let's not measure time according to blocks for a second. This, this right here, this is my life. This is my life. I'm 31 years old. And if God blesses me to live to 90 life, what you notice is I'm a third. I'm a third of the way through my life. But we're not measuring according to time. Let's measure it according to events. We're in my favorite season right now, the season of autumn or fall. And that means that I get 90 falls, 90 autumns to experience uh, in my life. Let's measure it that way. Same thing. I have approximately one third of the Octobers I'll experience done, and I get two thirds of them left. Think about other events in my life. And speaking of fall and favorites, my favorite football team that plays in the fall is the Green Bay Packers. And Because I don't live in the same state as them and ticket prices are outrageous to watch them, I usually only get to see them play in person once every five years. And while I often think to myself, well, there's really tons of opportunities that I could go see them, the reality is at this rate, at best, I might watch them play a dozen more times in my life. Speaking of favorites, food. 
Hamburgers are my favorite food, cheeseburgers to be exact. And I think to myself that I can enjoy limitless amounts of cheeseburgers because of the time and the place that I live in. But really, while they're my favorite food, I only eat about once, once a month uh, a cheeseburger. And that means that there aren't endless cheeseburgers coming my way. There's pretty much a way I can count them. I have somewhere less than 700 cheeseburgers to go in my life. And so it kind of makes me think about which cheeseburgers I'm going to eat and, well, which ones I should, I should pass on. I really enjoy reading books. One of my favorite things to get to, I get to do, I get to do it for my job. But every year, I, I really only read two books about for pleasure. And I think to myself that there's endless amounts of entertainment in the books out there on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and I can read whatever I want. But the reality is I'm, I'm only going to read around 120 books for my entertainment the rest of my life. Every, everything else that's been written, probably going to have to blissfully ignore and not know what's in there. But these things, Packers, cheeseburgers, and books, they they're pretty inconsequential, and, and they're neatly laid out in my life. They're neatly laid out that I experience fall with regular frequency. But as I got thinking about this sermon, I, I got to think about things, actually maybe one of the world's and life's most important things that, that's not laid out in regular intervals. To say it another way, the way I experience it isn't to the ratio of my life. While I have roughly two-thirds of my life left, God willing, two-thirds of my experience with, well, this important thing aren't left, and that's relationships. I was thinking primarily about my relationship with my parents. Growing up and uh, living in my parents' household, I experienced probably 90% of my days in childhood with my parents. And you think about that. That's a lot of minutes. That's a lot of days. But since moving to Virginia, and my parents live in Arizona, and they live in Wisconsin, I don't get to see them all the time. I, I see them probably each twice a year. And on average, I see them probably five times per visit. So what that comes out to is 10 days every year that I see my parents. That's 3% of what it used to be when I grew up in a year span. Just 3%. Now, think with me here. Let's say that both my parents and myself are exceedingly blessed to live into old age. I, I, I'm one of the, the few that gets to grow into their 60s and still have their parents around. Well, that means that we only have 30 years to coexist together. And if our frequency of visits maintains about the same, I have 300 face-to-face -face days with my parents left. That's less than a year. That's less than an entire year that I experienced 18 and under. What that math comes out to is that by the time I graduated high school and went off to college, I had already experienced 93% of my face-to-face -face time throughout the span of my life with my parents. What that means is right now, we're at the tail end. We are at the last 5%. As I thought about my parents, I thought about my role as parents. 
and my two sons. I told you my, my, favorite, my favorite season is fall. I really enjoy getting to do outdoor things during the fall. I enjoy, now that I'm a dad, getting to rake leaves and watch my sons run through them. I enjoy getting to go to high school football games with my sons. And I, I think there's these limitless falls to get to do this kind of fun stuff with them. But if their life resembles anything close to mine, they'll go to college, maybe in this state, maybe not. And they'll get a job, maybe in this state, maybe not. And that means that I don't have limitless falls. I, I have maybe 16, maybe 18 falls left with them. Time. Whether or not it seems to you in this moment that, that time is, and life is this long, long thing, or your time, your life seems short, one thing is unmistakably clear. And that is that time is most definitely a finite resource. Your days are not innumerable. They have a number. And that's the point that Jesus makes in his parable this morning. Jesus is telling a parable to a group of disciples listening to him. And like I said, this parable comes in a long string of Jesus talking about the end of the world and doing it in a way by, by telling stories. And these stories all have the same point. It's not so much about the finality of the end of the world, although there's certainly that element. The stories are all about us and our time in between now and that time, and, and how we spend it. And his point in the parable is, is very simple. It's live like a wise, faithful manager. Don't live like a foolish, prideful manager. Live wise. Live knowing that you have been given a trust and live faithful to that trust. But what does that mean? What does that look like as we apply that to our lives. What I want to do with the remainder of our time this morning is talk about three points, three points that Jesus makes in this parable, three points that have really an important application to us and to our lives. And as you look at your worship guide and up on the screen behind me, you'll notice they're labeled number one, number one, number one. Because there, there really isn't a hierarchy of importance here. They're all very important points that Jesus is teaching us. And well, here's the first. The first point is this. Life is forgiving because Christ who gave, gave us life is forgiving. Therefore, life for the faithful is really forever. Now, it's important that I'm starting with this point because often when you read this parable, the parable of the wise and faithful manager, well, there seems to be this dark cloud of gloom and doom that sits over this story because, well, the parable ends talking about the prideful and foolish manager. It ends by talking about his end and his demise. And we need to be careful lest we miss the really, really good end that comes to the person who lives wise and faithfully. This is what Jesus says. Jesus asked, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. 
This is the point of Jesus' parable, and this is the point that Jesus makes in his life. I have given you good things. Use them. It will be good for you. I have given you my grace. Enjoy it. You ever hear life called that? Your time of grace? The time that you have on this earth to enjoy the grace that God has given you, to enjoy the righteousness, to enjoy the forgiveness, to enjoy the peace, knowing that in this life, I'm good with God, to know that throughout my life and to come to know that, to come to know it more, to come to grow in an appreciation for that. That's life. That is your time of grace, to get to love that and enjoy that. In the parable, God, who is the master, gives the manager a job. Give good food to the other servants of the household. And he does so. He enjoys the food first for himself, but then he gets to distribute it to others as well. That's what a wise, that's what a faithful manager does, and that's what we get too. Jesus says, here you go. Here's the truth. Here's the gospel. Getting to know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, I will get to see him, I myself, with my own eyes. And then you get to go and you get to give that, that bread of life to others. You get to share it with them. That's what our life is for. And I said that this life is forgiving because Christ is forgiving. What I meant by that is this. There's going to be days, minutes, months, years, where you don't live like that, where you don't live reveling in the grace of your God. But life is forgiving because that is time for you to stop living that way and to turn and live knowing there's one who has given you this life and giving you eternal life and you get to live in that. That's what this life is for. And then at the end of this life, he's going to give you all his possessions. That's what the master said. He is going to give you what you just know in part. Then you are going to know fully. You're going to know fully what it is like to be holy, to be with your God, to know what joy there is in that. That's the first truth. The first truth is that life is forgiving because Christ who gave us life is forgiving. Therefore, life for the faithful, for the wise, it's forever. But there's a warning. There's a warning that he gave us. And this is the second one. It's this. It's how you live, or excuse me, how you spend your time in this life. It will affect where you spend your life in eternal life. Let me say that a little more clearly. How you spend your time in this life will affect where you spend your time in eternal life. That truth is unmistakably clear. God says, if you spend your time like the selfish, foolish manager who decided that he could do what he wants, the master is still a long way off so he can beat people, he can, he can get drunk and do what he wants. Here's what he says. He says, he will cut him to pieces and assign him to a place with unbelievers. What Jesus is talking about is hell. People, people overuse the word literally a lot today. They say, like, literally I'm starving to death. You're not. You just skip breakfast. Let me use that word appropriately. What Jesus is saying in this parable is this. If you spend your time foolishly and selfishly 
instead of wisely and faithfully, you will literally go to hell. That's the message. That's the point of this parable. So the question, the burning question is this, how do I know what is wise and faithful and, and what is foolish and, and prideful? How, how do I know to spend my time? What should I do? Well, it shouldn't surprise us that, that God's word, it, it isn't this manual that lists out everything that is wise, everything that is foolish, and then rank it accordingly. There isn't this comparison that, well, what if I like to spend my time gardening? And well, what if I like to spend my time playing video games? What if I find football entertaining? What if I find theater entertaining? And is it more wise or more foolish to spend my time playing with my dog? Or if I don't have uh, kids or a dog, spend my time playing with my kids or my dog, what should I do? Which is wise, which is foolish? Well, here's the beautiful truth. Your redemption, your salvation, paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, frees you. It frees you from sin, it frees you from death, and it frees you to, in this life, see everything that you could do as an opportunity to give praise and thanks and honor and glory to Jesus through how you spend your time. Now, certainly, there are things that Jesus says don't do. Don't spend your time gossiping. Don't spend your time lying. Don't spend your time cheating and coveting and things of this nature. We, we call those the commandments. But Jesus says everything else, everything else that you could do in this life with the talents that I've given you, with the treasure that I've given you, all of that, all of that can be a living sacrifice to me. It can, it can give glory to me. So you're still asking, all right, pastor, but what should I do? Well, God's word, like we said, doesn't lay that out for us. It doesn't tell us how to prioritize our time. But what it does do is tell us how to prioritize our relationships. And from that, well, we have the gospel lens to, to look at the activities and the time that we do have and do spend. It's maybe a little corny of an acronym, but the acronym is JOY. What brings God joy with how you spend your time and consequentially what brings you joy with spending your time is, is this. First of all, J, prioritizing your time with your relationship with Jesus. John mentioned it before that when Mary and Martha were gathered around Jesus, one of them was sitting by his feet, taking in his word, and the other was busy doing other things. And Jesus told Martha, Martha, there's one thing needful. It's me. It's spending time where I'm at. It's spending time with me. It's spending time where you today can find him in his word, here in church, at home, when you open up the scriptures and you get to there, be with your Jesus and hear from him. It's you finding time to spend with a life group, growing together in the word of God. There, that's the one thing needful. Jesus said, whenever you seek me and, and my kingdom first and my righteousness, all these things, everything else, it's gonna be added to you as well. What that is saying is we're talking about priorities here. Put me first. One time a rich young man came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest command there is? Jesus answered, the greatest commandment is this. He says, love the Lord your God. Love me, me first. But Jesus didn't stop there. He went on to talk about others. O-J-O, others. And Jesus said, not when he gave the greatest command, 
to love the Lord your God only and go move out into the hills and start nunneries and monasteries or be a hermit and just spend the rest of their days reading the Bible. No, what he said is, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, find others and show them the love of Christ. And you think about all the myriad of ways that you can do that. Oftentimes, uh, a church will maybe send the wrong message here. So let me just take a, a time out to say this. When we talk about spending our time and, and using our talents in this world, whether intended or not, the, the message is often heard that if I'm not volunteering my time for Jesus at church, if I'm not every event that my church puts on, if I'm not constantly in prayer and, and studying the scriptures, well, I'm somehow sinning. Well, that's not the truth. Let, let me give you the gospel truth ab about your time because this is the way God talks about it. God says that the, the mother or father who, who can't spend all of their time volunteering at the church because they're trying to raise their kids right to know and love Jesus, well, is actually doing as beautiful of a thing as the pastor who spends his time preparing a sermon to preach at church or the worship band member who rehearses and spends a lot of their time doing that. These are all good and God-glorifying ways to spend your time. God says that the, the young person, the student that spends time in God's word, that, that regularly goes to church, that regularly participates in community of other Christians growing God's word, who on a Wednesday night has a test the next day and is begged by their roommate to help me study for that test because I, I need you. Well, they're not doing a wrong thing by saying, no, I'm, I'm not going to the Wednesday night Bible study. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve my neighbor. I'm going to serve my roommate and, and just love them. Even if I don't talk about Jesus, I'm just going to sacrifice my time for them. That's a God-glorifying use of time. Same with the middle-aged person who goes to church Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, but then skips a Sunday because they're using this time to obey the fourth commandment and go and show honor and love to their father and mother. It is a God-glorifying way to spend their time doing that. Oftentimes, the unintended message when we talk about time in church is that we say some things you do with your time are better than others. Well, certainly in Christian freedom, we get to weigh those options, but there are so many different ways. By knowing Jesus and then serving others, we get to love him and serve him. It's about Jesus first, others second, and then you. You third. That's the point that the summary of God's word makes in this regard, that our life, our time, it's not primarily about you. It's not secondarily about you. It's about using your time to know Christ and serve others in the love of Christ. So who's this, this sermon for? Well, the sermon's not for the mom or dad who can't spend all their time volunteering at church or in the community because they're doing all they can to get their kids to church. It's not even for the young person or the middle-aged person who's wrestling with real-life demands while they're also trying to grow in the grace of God. You know who this sermon is for? It's for you. 
for me, for all of you who have these priorities inverted. It's for those of you who prioritize your feelings and your ideas and your time in a different way, by putting you first and others and Jesus somewhere in a close second. It's for you who skip out on times to serve the brothers and sisters you have been given in Christ and to serve the community around you because you need time for yourself. The sermons for you who weeks and months in advance schedule your vacations, schedule your extra work hours, schedule your your leisure time, but then squeeze in a little bit of Jesus time whenever you can make it. This sermon's for you. This parable is for you. Because God's point is unmistakably clear. Your time is borrowed time. It's not yours. It is mine that I am lending to you for a purpose. To know me. To grow in the grace that I give you. And to share that with others. It's borrowed time. And so the question remains is, how are you going to spend it? Because you only have so many minutes. You only have so many months. You only have so many weeks left. Your time is not limitless. It is a finite, fixed thing. So how are you going to spend it? That's really the main point that Jesus makes with this parable. And it's the third point we're going to look at today. And I want to encourage you to take time. Take time to think about this point. The point is this. This life, your life, my time, your time, it will end when you least expect it. Amen.